All right, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts 2. We're continuing, continuing in our series on the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we've been seeing how God's plans really continue unhindered and how Jesus is expanding His church despite all opposition through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to see another picture about how the Holy Spirit empowered people to live devoted lives. And we're going to see a picture of what the early church looks like, and, and, and in fact, really what the church should look like. And so turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. We'll be preaching from verses 42 to 47, but I want to see what they were responding to. So Acts 2, 41 to 47. This is God's holy, inspired word. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to their number that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a compelling picture of your church. Thank you, God, that this is only possible because we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we have been made new, and we've been given your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would be more aware of the promises that we have in you. We'd be more aware of the forgiveness that we've received in you. God, I pray that we'd be more aware of your Holy Spirit's empowering presence and that that would result in our church looking like this devoted church. Not out of duty, Lord, but but out of response to what you've done, out of response to your great grace. God, I pray that you'd enable me as I speak and you'd enable all of us to hear and apply that we would not just be hearers of the word, we would be doers as well. Out of worship to you we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a television set, hopefully you have noticed that there has been this cultural obsession, it seems, with reality TV shows. I like to tease my wife about a couple that she watches, but I, I won't tell you which ones they are except it has something to do with amazing and it sounds like grace, but it's not. And um, there are so many of these reality shows out and the culture just seems obsessed with them of, of looking and finding out, getting a glimpse into the lives of the people it's, that they're all about. And you know, the viewers get to watch from this safe distance and kind of peer into as, as cameras invade into people's living rooms and lives. There's shows, I looked at a, a list of shows this week, and there's everything from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Real Housewives of Atlanta, Real Housewives of New Jersey, and Orange County, and, and I don't think any of them really depict Real Housewives anywhere. If you've come to my house, my house does not look like that. Thank God. 
There's Duck Dynasty and Kitchen Nightmares and Toddlers and Tierras, which I praise God for never having seen. And there's Amish in the City. That's interesting. And here comes Honey Boo Boo. I don't even know what that is. And Braxton Family Values. People want to see what does it look like to to see other people living their lives? What, is it, what does it look like to see people in their setting? What, what do people live like apart from our normal setting? We like to get a glimpse into the supposedly normal life for the people being watched, but the reality is there's no real in most of those reality shows, and I hate to break it to those Duck Dynasty fans. None of them are really helpful for learning much about life, real life skills either. All of them are sensational. They skip over the formative, more important parts of normative life. But although they're sometimes entertaining and there's nothing wrong with watching reality shows, I'm not down on them. But I doubt we learn anything really helpful or useful. They're entertaining. But they don't give us a good picture of how to live our lives in a way that, that pleases God. We, they, don't, they don't really help us learn how to grow as Christians. But you see, I think there's this there's this need for us to see examples. We, we, we want to see examples. We want to see people living out their lives. We want to learn from that. Inherently, I think God's made us that way to live by seeing examples. And so he inspired the good Dr. Luke to write this account in the book of Acts as an example. But this is a real reality picture of what did the early church look like? And it gives us insight. And we can, we can see what did the early church look like? And then it Actually, we can learn how to live like that. What, how in the world did they live like this? What inspired them? What motivated them? And then we can look at ourselves and reflect on what's, what's motivating us, what's inspiring us, how are we living, and why are we living the way we are living? Luke gives us a glimpse into the early church life. He wants his readers to see what was important to this early body of believers and give us a model for what the church should look like. He wanted the readers to see what characterized their lives in a real way. What was it that that made them stand out? Why did they have favor with all the people? How did they live? What did normative life look like for these early believers? These people who had responded to the grace of God. How did they live? How did they respond? In these verses, he doesn't give us sensationalism. He doesn't show us anything particularly glamorous. In fact, a few of these things seem a little mundane and routine but they are transformative. He writes to us of the transformational, really, the, the, the revolutional way that they lived. He writes to us showing that they were living in a foundational way that impacted the whole community around them. So he writes a documentary, a picture of the real first century life of the disciples of Jesus Christ and what they did and what happened in this early community. And, and so we have a, a glimpse into their lives and I believe that what God would have us see from these verses is that, is that true belief. You see, they had a true belief. They believed in Jesus Christ. We know from the earlier verses, they truly believed in him. They repented, they responded. And then true belief in Christ, what does it look like? It looks like a church community that's devoted, that's joyful and effective. It looks like a church community that's devoted, that's joyful and effective. But it stems from their belief in Jesus Christ and flows from that. Because of their true belief in Jesus, they were devoted, and it's clear from the outset. We can see three ways. We're going to look at three ways that they were devoted as a church community. 
We're going to see they were devoted to being a learning church. They were devoted to being a loving church. And they were devoted to being a worshiping church. And we're going to see as well that devotion, it results in an evangelistic church. We're going to see a compelling picture for us. Look down in verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the first way that we're going to see that their true belief in Jesus Christ, that it kind of flowed out from them, is that they were devoted to being a learning church. They were devoted to being a learning church. What was the immediate result of these people? And and it's interesting that Luke depicts this as happening right afterwards. Why is he doing that? He wants to show what is the outflow of their faith, of their trust, of their belief in Jesus Christ. It changed them. It made them, instead of being devoted to other things, they were now devoted to learning from the apostles' teaching. Their lives were changed. They were no longer devoted to themselves. They were devoted to being followers of Jesus Christ. The text says devoted, and the same word is really used later on down in verse 26 when it says day by day they continued with one mind in the temple. That, that word could be translated that day by day they, they continued in devotion in the temple as well. And the word we have translated here is devoted. It's got the idea of this continual, this constant, unremitting, this steadfast care or attention to something. It has the idea of continuing all the time, persevering in something, not giving up. And before we're going further, we have to ask, why was this the immediate result when they became believers in Jesus Christ? Why did it result in them being devoted? Why were they constantly pursuing this committed lifestyle? Why did they persevere so steadfastly immediately in pursuing these things? Why in the world did they devote themselves? I think the answer is found in Peter's sermon. If you look in verse 41 with me, it tells us that they received Peter's word. They received Peter's word. Well, what was Peter's word all about? What was it that they had received? You can ask yourself as well, what was it that we received when we became Christians? Well, see, the word that they received was the word about Jesus Christ. It was the good word, the good news that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was the one that for untold hundreds of years they had been longing for and looking for. He was the Redeemer, the Deliverer of Israel. He was the one to rescue them, to restore them into God's presence. And they understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Chosen One. He was the Savior their great deliverer, and they, they also believe that he isn't dead. Though they had killed their Messiah, their Messiah was resurrected. He had conquered death. He conquered hell, conquered the grave. He proved that he was who he said he was. It would have been good news indeed and and motivation that they had found their true Messiah, the true Savior of the world. But I don't think that was all that motivated them to be devoted. It's good motivation for us to see that Jesus is the Redeemer, that He can redeem any and all situations. It's good for us to see that He's a deliverer. He can deliver anyone and everyone from their life of shame and sin. It's good to see that He is the one through whom God, all of God's plans are fulfilled. And it's even more amazing to see, and I think this is what helped motivate them as well to be devoted. Look back to verse 38, if you will, please. 
Look back to verse 38 of chapter 2. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what they received. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What have they received? They received the good news of Jesus Christ. They'd received forgiveness. You see, earlier Peter had just told them they killed the Messiah. They knew their situation was desperate. They knew they had no hope. They knew they deserved God's wrath, unrelenting. And yet now they have the good news. They've been forgiven. Not only that, their greatest longing and hope as a nation is they have the presence of God with them. God's very holy presence that was distant from all the people in the past except once a year, the great high priest. And that not fully. They could experience God's very presence. They could experience forgiveness. The Holy Spirit And then they were told, this promise is for you. What joy they had. This promise is not just for you. It's for your children. It's for all those who are far off. And and this good news, I believe it was their understanding of this great promise that they had in Jesus Christ, that it produced a desire to live devoted lives. I don't think anybody was telling them, it's your duty to be devoted. No, they, they embraced. That's what we see is we, we see them embracing Jesus Christ for who he is, believing, repenting, and then they responded with devotion. Why? Because they grasped God's grace. They understood that they were forgiven. They understood that they had a Messiah who was alive. They understood that God's presence was with them. And why would they not want to be devoted and give their whole lives to him? And it motivated them to be devoted to learn more about this Jesus Christ, to learn more about what does it look like to live in a manner that's pleasing to him, not because we have to earn it, but because he has earned everything. They believed and received the grace of God, and it resulted in a life of devotion. They pursued all these things continually because they had received and been enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what enabled their devotion. That's what empowered their devotion as well. God's grace of forgiveness and His Holy Spirit transformed their lives. So now they were committed to following Jesus Christ and devoting themselves to Him in everything. Let me ask you this morning. I had to ask myself the same question. Does the gracious forgiveness of God motivate you and I? Do we really grasp His forgiveness is full and complete? Do we understand who it is that we have as our Savior and our Messiah? Do we understand that it's the culmination of God's great plan that that He's given to us, that He's enlightened us, that He's called us to Himself, that not only has He forgiven us, but He's he's redeemed us and given us His Holy Spirit, and then He's given us His promise, not just for us, but for our children and for all those who are far off. And does that grace of God motivate you to say, God, I want to be devoted to learning all I can about you? That just transforms the way that you look at your daily devotions, doesn't it? Our daily devotions are not meant to be just just this thing of duty. I mean, there, there is a choice. We do have to decide. We do have to discipline ourselves. However, the motivation for that is that we've received the great promises of God. 
We've received forgiveness. We've received his Holy Spirit. We've received the Messiah who's reigning and ruling. God himself has called us. Are you astounded that you've been forgiven, that you've received God's favor so much that you're no longer separated from him but have the awesome privilege of God's very spirit with you? Does that grip you with excitement to learn about him? Do you understand that you've been freed from the, and, and what the promises are that you've received? I think the early Christians understood the promises they had because they also understood the wrath of God. They, they understood that it deserved his wrath for killing the Messiah. They understood their sins because they cried out. We know they did because they cried out, what shall we do? But they were immediately transformed from a life of fear to a life of faith. They repented, they believed, they received the most amazing freedom from sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't legalism that that motivated their devotion. It was freedom. It was the grace that fueled their duty. It was promises of God that made them devoted. So because of what they received, the early Christians, they were living devoted lives, constantly, unremittingly, steadfastly attentive to the apostles' teaching. Think about what Jesus had commanded the disciples earlier in Matthew 28. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what does he tell them to do? What's one of the very first things that we see that he commanded the apostles to do? Teaching them. Because we need to learn about Jesus. Why? Because it fuels actually our passion for him. We talk about having a passionate orthodoxy in our church, in our new members class, and that, that all of our orthodoxy that we pursue, we want to pursue sound teaching from God's Word, but we don't want to just pursue it so that we grow in intellect alone. We want to pursue it so that it results in a life that is given to Him in passionate worship. Making disciples through teaching is one of the key components of the Great Commission, and the disciples had not forgotten Jesus' command. But the apostles hadn't written down their teaching yet, so they, they had to go and hear them in person. The apostles probably would have been teaching from the Old Testament. They would have been teaching what the Holy Spirit brought to their remembrance that Jesus had told them when he says, I'm, I'm going to bring to your members, don't worry, I'm going to bring to your members what you need to know about me and that all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in me. Now, today, we have the apostles' teaching still, so we can be a church that's devoted to the apostles' teaching. How? By devoting ourselves to the teaching of God's Word, to devoting ourselves to the study of God's Word, devoting ourselves to daily basking in God's Word, not out of duty, not out of legalism, not out of some checking some box and saying, I feel better about myself because I've done this, somehow more impressive. No, we do that because we want to learn about Jesus because of the great grace that we've received. Being devoted means continuously hearing from the Bible, listening to God's Word, reading God's Word. For us, a practical way that why do we come here on Sunday mornings? We come in practically to devote ourselves to hearing the preaching of God's Word again on Sunday mornings as, as we are preaching from the apostles' teaching. That's why hearing God's Word preached is significant. That's why we, we put a premium on that in our worship services is because we need God's Word. And then we can hear God's Word not only preach, but we can devote ourselves to hearing God's Word day by day. Teaching is still critical to making disciples as Christians, and we 
if we want to grow as Christians, if we want to learn and experience the great God in his multifaceted wisdom, if we want to understand this infinite God that we have become children of, it requires us being devoted, but not out of duty, in response to his grace. So in addition to hearing the word, these early believers, they were also steadfast. They were devoted to fellowship, it says. And the second thing I want to to see is that we see a picture of a church that was devoted to being a loving church. They were devoted to being a loving church. Where do we get that from? Well, you can see their love clearly in their fellowship. You can clearly see their love expressed in their fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. They shared their life, their experience of God together with the other believers. They pursued community and closeness. There was a sense of being connected to and for each other. And isn't it interesting that fellowship didn't just come to them. They were devoted to it. Fellowship doesn't just come to us either. It requires devotion. Learning about God's word, understanding him, it doesn't just come to us, it requires devotion. In the same way, pursuing fellowship, experiencing fellowship is not an easy task. I know a lot of you probably nodding your heads like, absolutely, I've been pursuing it for a long time. I haven't experienced it yet. Don't be discouraged. Being devoted to fellowship is a sign that you understand God's great grace, that you understand what you've received in forgiveness because you want to share that with other people. And so instead of the motivation for us pursuing and devoting fellowship being all about what we get and what we receive and what people reciprocate, I want to be devoted because I want to share what I'm learning about Jesus with other people. I want to share my life with them. I want to, I want to share my experience of Jesus Christ. And I want to learn from other people as well. This kind of fellowship was based on the shared experience of God and they pursued it diligently. Being devoted is constantly pursuing. And the question for us as a church is let us examine our lives and are we a church? Are you a church member who is devoted to pursuing fellowship? Continually, steadfastly pursuing. One way to see this is to examine your calendars. Not legalistically, this is just a great way for holding yourself accountable. Where is fellowship featured in your planning? Do you see fellowship scheduled into your week as a biblical priority? Do you pursue fellowship? Are you devoted to it, even if others are not or it's not reciprocated? You see, fellowship is part of living a life of worship to God for who he is. It's it's not about living so that we can feel better or feel like we have tons of friends. It's saying, God, because of your great grace, I want to worship you by experiencing fellowship and sharing my life with other people. And it's a way that we love each other. We don't just see it here. Skip down to verse 44 for a moment in your Bibles, if you will, please. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. This church, it was united and they were together and they were living life together with this common purpose. And we can see that really when we share things in common, it's an outflow of our love for one another. There was nothing that was off limits to somebody else when it says they had all things in common. They shared things generally. Their belief in the good news of Jesus, their grasping of this free gift, it it produced a people who were generous instead of being self-focused and selfish. Why? Because they experienced the generosity of God. They experienced the free, without-cost forgiveness of God. They experienced God's presence. 
They experienced freedom. And so they were motivated to share freely, not be stingy, because God had not been stingy with his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. It's the same for us as well. That's our motivation is that God has been generous. His mercies are new every morning. He's he's not been stingy with his grace. He's not been stingy with his forgiveness. He's not been stingy with his love. And so because of that, we want to love other people. Look in verse 45. It says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. If anybody had need, they assumed that they were the ones who should try to meet it. They weren't relying on the Roman government or the Jewish government or even the temple system, which had provisions for the poor. They weren't relying on the government systems or benevolence to take care of each other. They were taking care of each other as each one saw that somebody else had a need. They were seeking, Lord, how can I meet those needs? Boy, that's remarkable. That's why as a church, when somebody in a care group has a need and we hear about it, the first question I ask is, could, could you let the other people in your care group know so they have an opportunity to share with you? Could, could you let the community around you know? Not because we don't want to be a church who, who has a benevolence line item. We do. We want to continue to be a generous church, but I think we would be, be a generous people because we, are, as a people, are the church. So they sold their possessions and their belongings. They were taking care of each one of them as, as they were able They had no guarantees they would have enough for themselves, but they assumed that God had placed them in the church and given them what they had for the good of others. How do we view our possessions? How do we view what we've been given? How do we view God's generosity to us? They took care of each other, showed their love for one another by sharing with each other as any had need. Now, now let me caution you here. Luke isn't here somehow endorsing a commune. This is not about an expectation that all Christians should go and join collectives. This is not a scripture to prove that that food co-ops are the only way to go. If you're in a food co-op, I'm not slamming them. Those are are fine. It's not some requirement for, for communalism, but it's a picture of voluntarily caring. You see, nobody was telling them to do this. They were voluntarily caring because they understood the generosity of God to them and it overflowed in love for one another. Loving one another practically, bearing each other's burdens, supplying the needs of each other. We can see other places in Scripture where this this kind of living was normative. Later on, when the Jerusalem church, this very church later on, there was a famine that they experienced in Judea. And and so Paul went out to the other churches and says, can we take up a collection to help our brothers and sisters there? And they did, and the churches were generous. Why? Because they understood that God had been generous to them. I think God put this scripture here to challenge us, to show us the kind of lifestyle that results when people truly grasp the good news of Jesus Christ and are transformed so much that they live radically different lives in their everyday lives. It's not a law. Don't take this as a law. This is not a new legalism. This is not a law that Christians must sell their possessions and give to the needs of other people in the church. It's not a legalistic requirement, but it is a principle that's being put on display for us that we can see what does the grace of God look like and how can we see this reality show and learn to live like this. It's an example I believe is meant to motivate us, inspire us, and and we all learn by example, don't we? I know I do. When we are learning to walk and talk, we learn from watching other people do it. 
Um, unfortunately, when I look at my kids, I can see that this plays out very well. It's not just what I say, but it's what I do that they follow. They learn by example. We're wired that way. We're given this example for a good reason because God would have us learn. God would have us learn. What does it look like to walk as a Christian in response to the belief that we have in him, to what we've received, these great promises? When I learned to tile my floor, I asked other people for help that I thought knew how to tile because I wanted to learn from their example. And then I followed that pattern and I tiled my own floors. We all learn from example. And I believe that this is given as a, to inspire us to want to pursue God like this too. Not to kick yourself if you're not, but to say, God, would you help me understand the forgiveness that I have? Lord, would you help me understand the great promises that I have? Jesus, would I be so enamored with a picture of you that I would want to live a devoted life of learning and loving? God, transform me, make me into your image. It's not a new law, but it's an example of what does it look like for the church to be the church? This is no Sunday morning only religion, folks. Maybe you're coming and you're living one way on a Sunday morning and living very differently throughout the week. It says they live this way day by day. This was a real life-altering belief in Jesus Christ that resulted in completely transformed lives. Look in verse 46, in the second half of verse 46. It says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They, they shared a table. They broke bread together. They had, they had close, they had personal, they had familial-type interaction with each other. They were a loving community. They were welcoming each other into their homes. They shared life. They got to know each other. They continually pursued this as a way of life. You know, I think it's because eating together, it brings people together in a unique way. And it's not just because you get to experience all the idiosyncrasies of the way that different people chew. I don't mean that. Some people chew with their mouths open. That's a sanctifying effect for me. Um, it's not about that. You're sharing nourishment together. You're sharing your life together. You're inviting them into where you live in a normal way. And so it says, breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous heart. They, that's a picture of them sharing hospitality together. They, they had each other in their homes for meals and they fulfilled the biblical commands, which there are biblical commands. Did you know that? There's biblical commands to practice hospitality. And the sense here is that it was simple because the word for generous, it, it also can be translated as simple or with simplicity, with sincerity. And then the third way we're going to see the true belief in Christ that resulted in being devoted is that they were devoted to being a worshiping church. They were devoted to being a worshiping church. They were devoted to learning. They were devoted to loving. And they were devoted to being a worshiping church. Remember back in verse 42, it says they were devoted to the breaking of the bread. Well, then later on he mentions they had, them, had each other in their houses for meals, breaking bread day by day. Why does he do that in two different places? Well, because the first one, that was shorthand for they shared communion together. They shared communion. They were, they were worshiping church. They shared communion together. And the breaking of bread here, it's a practice of regularly remembering the Lord's Supper together. Not only that, it tells us later on, how else do they worship? They, they shared communion together, and then they prayed together. They continually gave themselves devotedly to the prayers, it says. 
The early church was devoted to prayer. And think about that, how remarkable it is, even though they weren't very far removed from Jesus' death and resurrection. They had just seen him. Many of these people had experienced Jesus. They had just heard him. They had the apostles with them, teaching them Jesus' very words. And yet they still knew and felt this desire to pray. And prayer seeks God's direction as an act of dependence upon God. And these early believers, they saw prayer as something to continually give themselves over to. They were devoted to it because I think they were aware they needed God and depended upon God to lead them and to guide them and to strengthen them. They believed in Jesus the Messiah because they believed they prayed. And if, if we truly believe that, that Jesus is the Lord of all, that He is the chosen one, that He reigns, and that God welcomes us to come into His presence to find mercy and grace in time of need, then the question is, why wouldn't we devote ourselves to prayer if we see that He is the Almighty who's reigning and ruling? He's the one who gives His Spirit. He is the one who loves us. And He says, come into my presence when you're weak. Find mercy and grace in your time of need. I think they were devoted to this because, because they wanted to experience God. The question for us is, do we believe that He really truly is reigning and ruling over all things? Do we believe that He holds all things in His hands? Do we believe that He invites us to come into His presence to find mercy and grace in time of need? Or have we lost sight of our great need for God in all of life? Sadly, I think at times I have functionally behaved as if God is not really in control and I've fallen prey to worry or anxiety instead of bringing my prayers to God. What does that say? It says that I've, I've, I've lost sight of the fact that God truly is overall and reigning overall. And But where should I come? Where can I come? Where do I get to come? To the God who's reigning and say, God, these needs are beyond me. These things are more than I can do on my own. Lord, I need your help. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I think the answer is for all of us to believe and get rid of our burdens and worries and remember He is near and to cast our eyes on the all-sufficient One and then rest in Him and rely on Him on prayer and be devoted to prayer, not out of duty, but because of who Jesus is. Other times I think I've functionally acted as if I don't need God and I've deceived myself into thinking that I'm self-sufficient. You know, I, I use the phrase at times, you know, I'm, I'm just being self-sufficient. Well, no, I'm actually never being self-sufficient. I'm, I just deceive myself into thinking I'm self-sufficient. That I can do things on my own. And so I, as a result, I go about my day and I don't pray. Well, how silly is that? If I truly understand my need for God, my weakness apart from Him, that I'm needy and destitute of my own, if I believe that God is the only one who can supply all my needs and strengthen me and enable me to live for Him, if I believe those things, it's going to result in a life that's devoted to prayer. Verse 46 tells us that day by day they attended the temple together to worship as well. So what did this life of worship look like? It looked like being given to communion, being devoted to prayer, and devoted to going to the temple. And then in verse 43, it says that all came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done to the apostles. 
It says, awe came upon every soul. I love how the New Living Translation puts it. It says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the New American Center says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Their belief in God resulted in their devotion to Him and their experience of all of God. They were in awe of Him. The more they learned about Him, the more they worshipped Him, and the more they lived for Him, they became increasingly, they kept feeling the sense of all what God had done and what God was doing. I think it's a kind of life that God intends for us to have as well. We are, where we are devoting ourselves and experiencing a sense of all of what we received and what we're learning and what we're experiencing in fellowship and communion and prayer. So the question for us is, do we keep feeling a sense of all at what God is doing and what God has done? You see, they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I think that that sense of all flowed from what they were learning. As they learned that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the law and the prophets. They were in awe. As they devoted themselves to prayer, they were in awe because they were receiving answers to their prayer. They were in awe as they understood what they experienced together in the Lord's Supper. They were in awe that God had knit them together and was causing them to love one another. And their devotion, it did not result in drudgery or boredom. If, if you think about it, what, what's the result of devotion? It, it, might, it might show you what's motivating your devotion is, is maybe more duty than it is reflecting on what you've received. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, the fellowship, and the prayers, and they were in awe of God. They were experiencing the active presence of God. It was an encouragement to the body. Then verse 47 continues to listen to what they did day by day. Look down in your Bibles. It says, day by day they were what? Praising God. How else were they devoted to worship? They were, they were praising God. They were more aware of what they'd received and they were praising God with glad and humble or sincere hearts. And, and I believe that because they were more aware of what they'd received and they were more aware of who Jesus was and their forgiveness and the promises of God, it resulted in praise of God. Their learning about God resulted in praise to God. And if our learning about God is not resulting in praise to God, we need to go back and make sure we're not just learning mere intellectual truths, but we're letting these truths penetrate our hearts and our minds and being transformed by renewing our minds. They were extolling God. They were honoring Him with their lives and their lips. They were content. Their devotion didn't result in being dull, merely intellectual, lifeless individuals. They were, their devotion resulted in gladness. They were glad for what they had. These were not a somber people. These were not a sad people. They were devoted if you think about a, a lot of different backgrounds of churches that are devoted to study, often I've been in some churches and I, and I look and I see that where is the gladness being reflected? Something is wrong here. See, because devotion to learning about God, learning the great things of God, it should give us great gladness. I'm really looking forward to renew because we're going to learn about the, the all-sufficiency of God. And I want that to produce gladness in our hearts and joy in our hearts for who God is as we see Him for His greatness and His glory and His grace. I want us to be a learning community, a loving community, a worshiping community. 
they were, the word for glad here, it carries the meaning of exaltation, extreme joy. It says they were glad. They were exalting. They had extreme joy. They were extremely joyful. They exalted what they received. They were, they were glad from their hearts. Why? Because their hearts were glad. Is your heart glad with what God has done this morning? Is your heart glad with the truth of who Jesus is? Is your heart glad with forgiveness? Let your heart be glad. Like David, if it is not, speak to your soul. Say, soul, why are you not glad? Rejoice in the goodness and mercy and kindness of God. Rejoice in that God who is over all has called me to himself and forgiven me and given me hope and life and I have a great redeemer and he's given me his Holy Spirit and that he said he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. Rejoice and be glad in your heart. We'll see that we're, they were sincerely glad and the fruit was seen in how they lived generously and humbly. So it's no surprise, look in verse 47. It says, having favor with all the people. What were their lives marked by? They were, they were marked by having favor with all the people. It says, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. You see, because of their true belief in Jesus Christ, they were devoted to be a learning church, a worshiping church, a loving church. And their devotion, it resulted in a joyful evangelistic church. See, because devotion results in an evangelistic church. That's what devotion it results in. Are, are, are living lives like this, living lives that are devoted to learning about him and loving him and worshiping him, this results in an evangelistic church. That is the kind of devotion that really feeds and fuels our mission, a devotion that is based on the, on the great promises we've received in God. Their lifestyle was so compelling that it, it is so transformed. It was such an example that it says they had favor with all the people this kind of community life that had a positive effect on their mission. Their life at church was a visible witness. They obviously shared with all the people. And notice this, their lives never became so insulated or inward that they forgot to take the message of Jesus and engage with people on the outside because obviously they were living amongst the people because the people saw them and they had favor with all the people and God, through that, added to their number day by day. I look forward to that day when we are so living amongst the world as devoted to him, devoted to learning all that we can about him because of his great grace, devoting to loving one another and devoted to worshiping him, that it will just, it will affect people around us and, and, and the Lord will bring people day by day. They lived in and amongst the world around them in such a way the world was compelled by their example. What's described here? It's really just an application of what we saw Jesus teaching them in Matthew 5, 16. In Jesus, he, he told the disciples, in the same way, let your light shine before others. That's what they were doing. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That's how our lives are meant to affect those around us. Is your light shining with devotion to God? Is your light shining with devotion to learning about him? Is your light shining with loving others in the church? Is your light shining with worship to God? If so, it says, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I skip over a, a verse, 1 Peter 2, 12. Peter's talking about that as well. And I like the way that Daryl Bach, he's a, a doctor who has a commentary on on this book, I like the way he sums up the passage. 
have an overhead so you can track with me. He says, everything about the Gospels and Acts tells us that God's people are to take the initiative to show community and serve those around them. Much in Western culture drives us to an individualism that undercuts this development of community. We are taught to have things our own way and that being able to have our individual needs catered to is how to measure the success of an organization. Think about that the way you view the church. Are we measuring the success of the church on whether or not individual needs are catered to? He says, in our culture, our individual needs and rights come before any needs of the group. The biblical picture is not of what someone receives from the church, although one does receive a great deal, but of what one gives and contributes to it. The portrait of the early church in Acts shows the community and the welfare of the group were a priority. The attitude reflected spiritual maturity that allowed the church to grow. Oh, I want to be a church that's growing like this. We, by God's grace, I see in many places we are growing like this and it's very encouraging. It's a very joyful thing for Aaron and I to pastor this church because we are a church that's pursuing these things and we need to continue to pursue these things more and more. It says in this case, the earliest community making a powerful testimony for their mission. When the early church said that God cared, the care they gave their own demonstrated this. I see pictures of this all throughout our church as well, that you are caring for one another, you're loving one another. And, and I want to cont- encourage you to continue on in being devoted in these things. Continue on in being learners and studying God's Word. Continue on in worshiping, not out of legalism, but in response to what you've received. Over the past 2,000 years since this was written, Christians have always been inspired to see what it looks like to live as a people have been transformed by Jesus Christ. And these verses are meant to function for us as well. This is not just meant to be a neat story of how do they live back then. It's not meant for us to just watch it like a reality show and then walk away not learning anything. This is a different kind of reality show. One that we're meant to pay attention to, to learn from, to follow after. Luke's telling us what it looks like to be a part of a New Testament church. It's praising him, living for him, being a compelling example to those around him. The early church's presence, their joyful, generous witness, it was infectious. Can you imagine how God will use us to draw people to himself if we continue to grow into being this kind of church? I want to do that. I hope you want to do that too. Amen? In many ways, I'm encouraged. I think we're already well on our way to being this kind of church, but I pray that God's grace will enable us to continue to be this kind of devoted church more and more, day by day. Scripture is meant to inspire, show us how to live lives that are pleasing to God. Why? Because He saved us, because of who He is and what He's done. We've received these great promises. He's forgiven us. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to go ahead and come up, if they will, and if you could stand, please. Ushers, you can go ahead and come forward as well. We're going to close by... If you could stand, that'd be great. We're going to close by celebrating the gift of communion together. How appropriate is it that we are going to devote ourselves as well today practically? So ushers, you can begin to go ahead and pass out the the juice and the bread. As 